Make sure to give my dad a five-star review. Get, make sure to like and subscribe to his YouTube. And thank you for listening and enjoy the show. show. <laughs> What we are seeing on one side is people saying this is suppressive and that is encouraging people to come to the polls and make their voices heard. And then on the flip side, you hear this is fraud, this is fraud, this is fraud, and then people don't vote. And that's exactly what happened in Georgia. Like there is a case to be made that the Senate would be Republican right now if Trump hadn't suppressed his own voters by telling them that this that the system was rigged. Like you can look at the numbers. Like much fewer Republicans voted by mail in Georgia. Like Donald Trump lost the Senate for the Republicans. And so I think that that's a detrimental thing. Like telling people that there is fraud when there is not makes it so that like we can't have a healthy democracy. Well, hold on. Hey, welcome, Faithful Politics listeners and viewers. Um, I am your political host, Will Wright, joined by the ever faithful Pastor Josh Bertram. And today hello, we hello. are joined. We are joined by Jessica Huseman. Um, so Jessica is a journalist from Texas who's the editorial director of Vote Beat, a nonprofit newsroom and Chalkbeat spinoff, which devotes itself to election reporting. Um, she was the lead reporter at ProPublica. Election Land Project and is a frequent guest on CNN and other places. And we are delighted to have you. Yes, we are. Very <laughs> so, Jessica, are, are you a for or against cessation? The most important question of the day. Uh, I am against. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I think that if Texas were left to its own devices and, uh, and had our own power grid that shuts down when it, rains then uh <laughs> then we might not be doing so well in the long run but i'll Fair. let that uh decision rest with those smarter than me I suppose. <laughs> yeah yeah now now um kind of based based on um my initial research about your career and and everything else like i came across kind of an interesting fact um are you're an aquarius right i i am born in february born, in fact yeah born, born february 11th uh-huh i i and born February 11th as well. So, no way! Birthday twins. Totally. Birthday <laughs> twins. You guys look that's, identical. That's right. In every way. So fun. I love it. What's funny is uh, I, I, I found out. So, so Rick Tyler, um, the ex campaign manager for Ted Cruz, his birthday's on February 11th also. So, so every. We are. Oh, I didn't know about Sarah Palin. Yeah, we're in good company. <laughs> Interesting. Man, you gotta call well, QAnon. Something's going on here. This is yeah. it. We're, we're part of some cabal, I think. That, I know. Well, I'm and a every Scorpio. every. Does that do I do I have to leave now? Yeah. I think so. I think those are the rules. Yeah, basically. Yeah, I mean, we don't make the rules, <laughs> uh, but. Every 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 birthday, I always send Rick Tyler a, a happy birthday, and he sends one back. Um, and it's just like I don't know the guy. Like it's just like one day I saw that he had the same birthday as me, so I like I don't know, I Facebook messaged him or something. I said, "Hey, so you had the same birthday as me? Happy birthday!" <laughs> He's like, "Happy birthday!" So now it's just it's this weird thing we have this strange connection. Um, and yeah, I don't know why I told you that story. So, anyways, <laughs> the. Uh, so, so you do work on uh, your the editorial director at Vote Beat. Um, what, what, what does what does Vote Beat do? 
So VoteBeat is, um, I think, a unique little newsroom. We are we just started, so don't hold me to uh, anything that I say a year from now because who knows? Maybe we'll be covering <laughs> like bagels and cream cheese by then. But um, <laughs> you know, I think VoteBeat really wanted to bring election reporting back down to the local level because I covered elections as a national reporter for six years and I loved it and it was fun and I enjoyed the people. And, but the real problem is that elections isn't really a national story. It's hard to do a national investigations into elections because every state and every county has its own way of doing things. And so I felt like I was putting out information that was helpful, but not necessarily impactful or, educational for voters. And so it may have helped Congress figure out things or something like that, but it certainly wasn't helping like my Mm. next door neighbor. And so what we wanted to do was do a bottom up approach to covering elections. So we do have VoteBeat National and I am the editorial director for all of VoteBeat, but we're going to be establishing local newsrooms in eight states. um, And those will be entirely focused on those states. And so we're, we're trying to be sort of an educational resource for voters so that we can write explanatory pieces on how the system works. Um, and we're also trying to make sure that these local officials who almost never get media coverage are being held accountable for the decisions that they make. Um, and I think that that's kind of a, just a better way to cover elections. And then I think the most exciting thing about all of this is very much like Chalkbeat, VoteBeat's articles will be free to republish. So In some states, we'll have direct partnerships with places like the Texas Tribune or the Philadelphia Inquirer or NJ Spotlight in New Jersey. Um, But even those articles, any local news station or national news outlet could take and put online without even asking us because they're all Creative Commons licensed. So we're really, you know, if at the end of the day, VoteBeat doesn't become like, a household name. I don't really care. <laughs> I would just really <laughs> like election yeah. coverage to be better. Um, and so that's kind of the thrust with which we're approaching building this new newsroom. Yeah. So, you know, the, 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 oh, oh, hold, hold on, Jess. I, I, I'm going to put you on the, I'm going to put you on the spot for a second because um, uh, in addition to Josh and I talking about our kids prior to the show, um, like one of the things that we had talked about was, um, like who your local rep was. Um, so I, I was just asking Josh, you know, like, Hey, what, what district are you in? <laughs> He's like, I don't you know. know. That's you know? <laughs> a good question. Um, <laughs> I just moved. So it's, it's funny. I don't think that I even know, um, which is a really embarrassing thing for me to admit. Um, <laughs> But <laughs> I know that I'm represented by Ted Cruz and, uh, and John Cornyn. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> is, that, is that good enough? But That's good I, enough. You get a pass. My, uh, let's see. Oh, I am represented by Eddie Bernice Johnson. Um, that is, she is my representative. I actually, you know what? I'm, I haven't thought about this in, oh my God, I haven't thought about this in maybe 10 years. But when I was in college, and you can cut this out if you want, this is a <laughs> ridiculous story. Um, when I was in college, I worked for this newspaper called Dallas South News, which you wouldn't know by looking at me, but was the um, was the black newspaper for Dallas. Um, I, was their, I was their political reporter for like a little while in college because <laughs> – 
my professor was like, you're broke. Do you need a job? And I was like, I do need a job. And he was like, Dallas South News would like you to cover city council meetings. And I was like, great. What's Dallas South News? And so they sent me to a... Um, they sent me to a press conference with Eddie Bernice Johnson at this old mall in Dallas that has an event space in it. And the press situation was for like black news in Texas. And then it was like, I was there. And so I was like, hi, um, representative Johnson. I'm from Dallas South news. And she went, <laughs> and then she was like, she proceeded as if everything was totally fine and like was very professional. But the, like my most hilarious interaction with a politician was that moment where she was like, I'm like, I'm from Dallas South News. And she was like, it's like in the background you can hear the record scratching you know all the music stopping people are like it was great like being just like thrown into all of these ridiculous situations by my brilliant editor at dallas south news was the best experience like of my college career so i i have i have them to thank for like just no longer being like shy at all just yeah, like, can I ask a question now? Anyway. That's amazing. That's amazing. I mean, it's those experiences, right, that shape us. And, you know, it's interesting because I'm thinking about, you know, the the vote beat. And I love the mission behind that. I think that's really, really cool. And thank you for doing that. And uh, I guess a question that I have is, so when you're thinking about, like, covering – like the voting process. Like for me, I just go in, I vote. I don't even think about it. Like I used to just say, okay, I wouldn't even know what the issues were. They just hand you a card, say, Hey, if you're a Republican, you vote this way. If you're a Democrat, you vote. Okay. There you go. Dig, 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 dig. You know, mm-hmm. it's like easy. Like it's just a nice heuristic. Um, you know, with your expertise on, on basically um, our elections in this country, um, you know, what really is inspiring you? Like what issues are inspiring you to make sure that you, um, to make sure that you're covering this well and that people become educated about voting? Like what's your big why? And with that, like, you know, there's different reform bills happening that mm-hmm. are being proposed and like kind of coming off of that question, your big why, like, are there any of these bills that are giving you hope? Or are there ones that are just like not enough? Or what What do you think needs to happen in terms of legislation um, That's a really surrounding question. these election questions? Um, so I think that I just, I'm a really big, I love, this is going to sound crazy, but I love the people who carry out elections, like county clerks and county registrars and like local election administrators and state elections directors are all just like the greatest people in the world. I mean, I think that I have met maybe like five where I'm like, you're a bad person and you're bad at your job. Um, And, but the rest of them, and I've met hundreds are like, you know, maybe they're not the greatest at what they do, but they care a lot about it and they want to be better. And, you know, county clerks and election administrators are this really interesting group of people, because if you think about it, it is one of the few government offices that people are forced to interact with on a regular Mm -hmm. basis. Like, you probably don't walk into the mayor's office. Like, I can probably, like, you probably haven't, right? 
and unless you have some specific business there, but everybody has gone to a polling location. Everybody mm-hmm. has interacted with the county clerk in some way. And so even though no one knows what that office does, that's the office that you're interacting with. Like they're the public door to local government in like many ways. And, and I think that they have not gotten their due in terms of coverage for the things that they do and how important it is for the literal basic function of government. And and they have been sort of serially ignored. Um, you know, these counties have terrible cybersecurity. They have horrible physical security. The voting machines are old and broken and they're like holding them together with these crazy like tricks. Um, and And I think that it's easy for those people to be ignored because elected officials who sit above them and give them funding are like, well, I got elected, so the system must be fine. You know what I mean? And so I, and I think like that frustration that like this office where every citizen has to go and do things is serially ignored and underfunded is not only disrespectful to the people running that show, but to the voters themselves. And I don't even know that national and state legislatures are aware of that, like are aware of how disrespectful, seriously underfunding and like ignoring these offices is to the people who must interact with them. Because what happens is like, we make it harder for election administrators to run their offices, which in turn makes it harder for people to interact and to vote with those offices. And so I just think that this is all just very disrespectful to democracy as a whole. And I know that that's like a really philosophical answer to your question, but that's a great answer. I think that's why I keep doing this is because it frustrates me so much that this is the most important thing that you can do as an American citizen and the mechanics around doing it are absolutely like it's just lunacy. And, and I think that Mm. the, and I think that the federal legislation that is moving through Congress right now, it's really frustrating for me and for a lot of election administrators for a lot of different reasons. Um, Democrats, for whatever reason, have thrown all of their eggs into the HR one basket, um, which is the, you know, their massive omnibus voting bill. That's almost 900 pages long at this point and deals <laughs> with everything from like how the USPS should engage with like, touching ballots to whether or not DP <laughs> should be a state. And I, and I just, I think it's a, a bit, it doesn't make a lot of political sense to me. Like this bill is mm. not going to pass. Democrats are still focusing all of their attention on it, even though it is not going to pass. And then I think is just disrespectful to voters. Like, yeah, like HR one is in theory, a good bill. Progressives love it. It is a great statement as to your priorities, but at some point we have to be realistic. And while they're messaging HR one elections are continuing to be poorly funded and badly regulated. Mm. And so it's just wasting everyone's time. I think that the the John Lewis voting rights bill um, is a lot more um, reasonable. Um, Joe Manchin has said that he would support it, even an expanded version of it. It would bring back at least some version of preclearance um, to the United States, which would mean that all states and local areas that pass 
legislation that would change voting in any way has to be pre-cleared by the DOJ before it can be enacted. That was a really crucial protection in a lot of states until 2013 when the Supreme Court struck it down. And so Hmm. bringing it back, I think, would be – and like bringing back a formula that determines which states and localities have to do that would be a step forward. What it does not do is fund elections. Um, It provides this voting rights protection. But, you know, in the six years that I've been doing this, I can tell you that a heck of a lot more people are disenfranchised because their election is underfunded and they don't have enough polling locations. They don't have enough good poll workers and poll workers are badly trained and the machines don't work than like actual literal disenfranchisement. Um, Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like it is people are certainly disenfranchised and I don't mean to minimize that, but I think like your average person is far more likely to be disenfranchised by a mistake made by a poll worker or lack of access to like voting resources than they are a voter ID bill or strange gerrymandering, um, which is what we're focusing on. But, you know, the vast majority of small problems that impact voters in really material ways that lead to their provisional ballot being thrown out or them showing up at the wrong polling location and the poll worker giving them bad instructions as to how to remedy that, that could be solved if we had consistent election funding. And Hmm. so the infrastructure package is going through Congress right now. There is no election funding in there, even though under federal law, election is considered critical infrastructure. So I don't, I don't really know what the federal government is doing. Um, and I continue to be frustrated by it. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's, what's interesting, just listening to you talk, there seems to be a lot of parallels between um, people of faith that do proselytizing and people that try to encourage people to vote. Like you've got a certain segment of the population that are like, I don't want I don't want to buy what you're selling because I just see how you act, you know, yeah. and then there's and then there's another side of like, I don't really want to vote because I just don't see it making that big of a difference, you know. So in both cases, there's like a lack of faith and and these institutions. And I'm curious, like, how do you how do you convince somebody that, you know, that their vote really matters, um, especially when they look at politics, they look at the people that are being elected. You know, and they're like, these are the people, you know, that, that I've elected. That, yeah. I, yeah. It's, it, it can be really hard to do. I think that one thing that I wish folks would sort of grasp onto a little bit more is that, you know, it's kind of hard to convince someone that they should vote for president of the United States because materially it is unlikely that voting for Trump or for whomever or for Biden or for Charlie Brown will impact you in your home, like regular citizen, right? But what will impact you in your home is local government. And, and that, that, that will include like whether your street gets paved appropriately, like whether or not the power lines outside of your house are like flinging up against your trees, zoning, local taxes, whatever. I, I think that it is, there is a much more direct causal link between like, I am voting for my local government and like this thing happens because no one votes in local elections, especially if they are in like in many states held separately from federal elections. And, and so I think that the first step might be convincing people to think more locally 
And then once you become a regular voter, because you see the impact of your engagement, um, then you start taking on bigger and bigger and bigger things. And the reason that I that I kind of came to this realization is a few years ago, I spent a few weeks in this little tiny town in Texas, um, which is like tiny towns in Texas are basically like my comfort space. Um, I grew up in one. My dad grew up in one. My whole family lives in one. Um, and so every time like a small town in Texas becomes relevant, I'm like, I'm going, I'll be back later. Um, <laughs> and so but my favorite town I've ever visited truly was this town um, in South Texas called Catula. And it was the place that LBJ taught, taught elementary school and was an elementary school principal before mm. <laughs> beginning his career in public service. And he actually mentioned Catula in his Voting Rights Act speech alongside Selma. But because there was not a massacre in Catula, understandably, it was not so historically memorable. And it turns out that LaSalle County, which is where Catula is, has among the lowest federal voter turnout in the country. And so I wanted to go down there and be like, all right, this is a huge historical irony. Like, how did the town that inspired LBJ's activism on the Voting Rights Act, like, just decide not to vote? And that, yeah. that breaks my heart a little bit. And so yeah. I went down there and I spent a couple of weeks. And what I determined was that people were voting. They just weren't voting in federal elections and state elections because they were like, we're a rural county. No politician has ever come out here. I think the only politician <laughs> that had visited LaSalle County in like the previous five years was Will Hurd, who represented the district and like would show up at Dairy Queen sometimes. And Beto, when he was running for Senate, like did like a very small town square thing and then bounced right out. And so they were like, we're a small county. No one gives a shit about us. No one rec like we're very unique and they are like rural oil, heavily Chicano, like it's very different from the rest of the state and also like heavily Democrat. So everyone, even if they're a Republican, there is a registered Democrat so that they can vote in the Democratic primaries because that's where the decisions are made. And so mm. even though I went down there to figure out, like, why aren't you guys politically active? What I actually learned was that they are very politically active, just not not in state and federal elections, but they all know who the like local county council is. They know who the mayor is. They talk to the mayor, like the mayor owns a bar and they go talk to the mayor at the bar. Like that's their engagement. And I think that frankly, like that type of engagement is much more productive than the type of engagement that the media tends to, you know, tell people is most crucial, like turn out and vote for president. That is important. Mm -hmm. and I wish people would do it. But if I have to choose, then I'm going to choose county and city. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, Josh Bertram here, faithful host of the Faithful Politics Podcast. I want to let you know about a compelling new spinoff, the Faith Roundtable, where I'll be interviewing top faith leaders, theologians, and scholars to unpack the pressing issues that are shaping the church in America today. We'll dive into topics like faith and public life, social justice, and how we can engage our communities more effectively. Make sure you don't miss any of our enlightening conversations by subscribing to it on our YouTube channel. Join me at the Faith Roundtable, where deep discussion meets thoughtful insight.
Yeah, you know, you know, it's it's interesting when 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 I think about specifically the last four years, um, you know, it seems a, a lot of the folks that I talk with have become more political or more engaged in kind of the the political process because either they're either for or against Trump and, you know, wanted to see, see some change or some continuity. And, uh, I was, I was speaking with somebody recently, um, to try to find kind of the good side about January 6th, (laughs) you know, like, like it was a horrible day, you know, but, but, uh, I mentioned to this individual that, Hey, if there's one positive thing, everybody knows the date that, Congress counts the votes, you know, because <laughs> like if 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 you were to ask like a random people in the street, hey, can you explain the Electoral College? Most of them would kind of look at you funny, you know, but but most of them would probably say, yeah, something important goes on on the 6th, you know, <laughs> like and and uh, now that that day is sort of ingrained in our heads, like I, I somewhat feel a little bit better about, you know, our our overall political knowledge um, about the Electoral College. And I'm curious if 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 you if you think there's, you know, maybe been any good sides um, from not necessarily January 6th, um, but just overall, just in the past four years, you know, how how people have become engaged both locally and and at the national level. Yeah, I I think it's really interesting. So when I first when I first started to work for ProPublica, I was actually a health reporter, um, like specifically on child welfare and the pharmaceutical industry, which is obviously like very different than what I'm covering now. And right. so the 2016 election approached and they were like, okay, uh, you're an elections reporter now. And I was like, <laughs> all right. Um, and so I knew nothing. And like also being an election administration reporter sounded like the most boring job in the world. And, and then all of a sudden we got Donald Trump and yeah. it was like, Oh, I'm accidentally on the most exciting beat <laughs> that anyone has ever thought of. I guess I should learn something about cybersecurity. And, um, and so it's been interesting for me as somebody who's kind of like come along on that journey to watch the country, like not really care at all about what voting machines they were casting their ballots on to these like full throated angry protests over lack of paper ballots. Like if you had told me that there would be an audit and like conspiracy theorizing that took up all of our national headlines around like whether or not there's bamboo in ballots, like I, I think that I probably would have laughed at you. And so, you know, I think that this, you know, this, these conspiracy theories, though, come with, like, actual genuine engagement that aren't from people who are not on the fringes. Like, I think, right. you know, I have not had friends asking me until recently, like, how does vote by mail work? Or, like, if I put my mail, my ballot in the mail, will the post office deliver it? Well, how are these counted? How does signature matching work? Like, these are all elements of our election system that have been there for many years and no one yeah. knows about them. And now you just like have conversations about vote by mail at parties, or at least I do. Maybe my party is. <laughs> um, that sounds like a great party. It's a great party. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that the that the sort of odd silver lining is that people have a better appreciation for how the election system works. And I think that is crucial to fixing it. Because if there's a public buy-in for like giving more funding to local elections offices, it's just not going to happen. So, and I, I think there is now. You know, I've been very um, enlightened in this conversation already. Like I, one thing, like, (laughs) 
You're absolutely right. If I was asked, like, hey, I want you to cover like an election administration, I feel like I would just quit. I know. I'm just like, <laughs> like, you know, like, I know I'm new here, but my bad. Am I wrong? Like, do you hate me? It's, <laughs> what did I do to offend you? <laughs> but like, Jen seeing like how like that has become like the most like hype in like, you know, I, I don't know, like in the spotlight, um, you know, issue. It's amazing. No, I don't think that when when ProPublica gave me that beat, they were like, all right, in four years, uh, CNN will pull you on as an analyst to talk about election. <laughs> like that. I don't think that I was the reporter that they thought would get a CNN contract. Like given that um, things have changed, obviously, but it's been a wild ride. And and the other people, the other reporter that got put on the infectious disease in 2017, <laughs> now they're like so happy, you know. Like, oh, I know. I mean, <laughs> like uh, Caroline Chen, who works at ProPublica and sort of like became our COVID czar. Um, <laughs> her series of stories are being turned into a Netflix special. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. She's, a <laughs> even imagine, oh. She's fabulous. One of my favorite people. Oh. But like, can you imagine being like, I cover infectious disease and I have a hey, you're next. Like, Netflix? Maybe, yeah, hey, Netflix, I'm here. I'm here for you. Yeah. She's wow. here. She's ready. I'm ready. So, I mean, in that in, in that vein, like it's become so popular, right? And I don't know if popular is the right word, but it, but it's in the headlines, of course, with what uh, former President Trump, um, you know, the hype he brought around it and the accusations and I have a lot of good friends and and people that I know and, and deeply respect that still are very skeptical. And I'm and I don't really have, you know, a strong opinion on that necessarily. Like people have their reasons. And 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 I'm I don't think it was that like voter fraud was was the degree which I'm hearing people say. I I tend to trust what's going on there. Uh, maybe caught naivete or whatever, but I, I just kind of trust it. And also, I don't want to put all the work that's required to try to figure it all out <laughs> and yeah. follow every single like suit, like all the billions of billions and billions. Do I sound like Trump? Then he said, anyway. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I when I used to hear voter suppression, right? That that's yeah. come out. Like, um, I I heard about that like in that was America of the '60s or America of the '50s and. And, and before Jim Crow, things like that. Like when I hear voter suppression, like I remember hearing that for the first time, be like, what? wait, 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 voter suppression. Like I've never had an issue voting. I don't know anybody who's had an issue voting. What's going on here? And of course, my small world is not like an, an, an accurate reflection of the wider world. And I can totally acknowledge that. But I guess like when I'm asking you, what is voter suppression and is it happening? And is it being yeah. are the Democrats are they are they are they pushing it too much? Are the Republicans not taking it when they should as a cause? Like what's 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 going on here? I think a lot of things are happening at one time. I think that one in the as we've discussed in the last four years of voting and like the act of doing it has become politicized. And so I think that both parties have an interest in you know, Republicans have an interest in exaggerating voter fraud because they feel like it motivates their base. And to a lesser extent, Democrats do have an interest in exaggerating claims of voter suppression because that does tend to motivate their base. I mean, like, mm -hmm. think about the 
powerful energy around Stacey Abrams's movement in Georgia. Like there were people waiting in line for eight hours. Like I think there's, there is real power in saying to people like you're being singled out and people react to that in very strong mm-hmm. ways. And so that's not to say that I think that Stacey Abrams is lying and that voter for and voter suppression is not happening. I, I do think that there are, pe- there are progressives who call things voter suppression that are not voter suppression or things that, have like a negative effect, but that negative effect was never intended or thought about. And then that's called voter suppression as well. Um, Or, you know, something inadvertent happens, like a machine breaks down, or there's a pipe, there's like a water pipe burst in a polling location, and they've got to shut it down and the lines go really long. That's not voter suppression. I, I think that you know, there, there is a tendency to sort of like create correlation um, where there is not necessarily correlation in this space. But I will say that historically, I understand why people do it, right? Like, we're right. coming from a, like, first of all, I think that voter suppression is, a, is absolutely happening. I don't think that you can look at the legislation that's going through Texas, parts of the legislation, certainly not all that are going through Georgia definitely what's happening in Florida, the audit that's happening in Arizona, like those in my mind are straight up attempts to suppress the vote. Um, And I don't think that there's another interpretation of them. Like there is no justification in my mind for taking an election that had no problems and then adding additional layers of security to prevent problems that didn't occur. Like that is Mm. big government at its worst, if you ask me. Mm. And also there's just no justification for it. Like if there's no security problem to address and you're doing it anyway, you're not, you don't write legislation for no reason. Like you you write a couple examples. Yeah, of course. So like, for example, Florida rolled back mail-in voting. Um, Florida has been a mail-in voting state for decades. Like you have always been able to join a permanent absentee list in Florida and just have Mm. your vote, have your map ballot mailed to you. This has been the case, not just during the last four years, not just during the last eight, like this is a long running thing in Florida and you can't do that anymore. Now they've removed the absentee, the permanent absentee ballot list. There's never been a problem with it. There has never been voter fraud because of that list. And now it's gone and it just makes it harder to vote. I think that that's just flat out suppression. Um, And I think that that's why they're doing it, because there's no reason to make it less easy for your citizens to do something if there's no problem with the system unless you want to make it harder. And that, Hmm. in my mind, is just suppression, right? right? Then there are things that like are out of your control or, for example, there's always calls of voter suppression when, for example, counties go from precinct polling locations to vote centers, which tend to mean like you can come to these seven places in the county, regardless of where you live, we'll print your ballot out there for you, hand it to you, and you can just vote wherever is convenient for you versus like you must go to this precinct. Um, When you move to a vote center model, you generally need fewer precincts because the vote centers tend to be bigger. They tend to be centrally located. Um, People would prefer to go to them because they're two blocks from their office or down the street from their kid's school. And so you close polling locations to accommodate that. And people say, this is suppression. Like they're closing our precincts because they don't look at the fuller context. Um, so I think I think accusations of suppression and fraud happen when, when there's not much there. I think that the difference is that 
you know, claiming suppression is not necessarily as detrimental to the system as a whole as claiming that the entire system is fraudulent. Like, I think Mm. what we are seeing on one side is people saying this is suppressive, and that is encouraging people to come to the polls and make their voices heard. And then on the flip side, you hear this is fraud, this is fraud, this is fraud, and then people don't vote. And that's exactly what happened in Georgia. Like, there is a case to be made that the Senate would be Republican right now if Trump hadn't suppressed his own voters by telling them that this that the system was rigged. Like, you can look at the numbers, like much fewer Republicans voted by mail in Georgia, like Donald Trump lost the Senate for the Republicans. And so I think that that's a detrimental thing. Like, telling people that there is fraud when there is not makes it so that like, we can't have a healthy democracy. Like, the stuff that's going on in Arizona right now, like the the audit that's happening there is like that doesn't happen in a healthy democracy. And we're mm. not spending millions of taxpayer dollars because somebody said that Arizona was suppressive. We're spending millions of taxpayer dollars because Donald Trump perpetrated a fraud on the American public and told them the election was stolen. Like mm. the same party that is like big government is bad unnecessary spending of tax dollars is bad. Like transparency always is having a nonsensical, expensive, ridiculous, extra legal audit of (laughs) their ballots. And that's absurd. It's hypocritical in like the deepest way. And so I think, Hmm. you know, that's how I feel about it. Like even assume that like every time someone says suppression, it's a lie which I don't. And every time we say there's voter fraud, it's a lie. And sometimes it isn't a lie. Um, one is far more destructive than the other. Hmm. And, to, and so, so like, it, it's interesting to hear you say how, you know, Democrats use suppression, Republicans use fraud. And I, and I, and I think that probably carries on to a lot more other things and topics um, kind of in the political yeah. sphere, like gerrymandering versus redistricting. Um, like, right. is like, are, are those, <laughs> I was, I was joking with, with Josh the other day during, at our Bible study, you know, and, and, um, he mentioned something about gerrymandering and I said, well, Democrats just call it redistricting, you know, like it's almost <laughs> like in my mind, it's the same thing, but, but is, is it the same thing? You know, like, are, are there, are there nuances or are there differences? You know, is it just two words to describe the same, the same situation? Yeah, I mean, like, technically, gerrymandering is redistricting. It's just like a fancy way of doing it. Um, (laughs) I, you know, I think that I think that both parties um, sort of manipulate the lines to their advantage. Um, And and that's been going on. Like, I mean, if you want to talk to Democrats who do this, like, go to Pennsylvania, right? If you want to talk to Republicans who do this, go to North Carolina or Texas. Jeez, like Texas. Holy hell. Um, (laughs) You know, I think there, my favorite thing about Texas's maps is that there are these little tiny strips of districts that run from Austin all the way down to San Antonio. Um, and they're like little tiny things and they kind of make this little hook shape. And Lou Doggett years ago referred to them as the fajita strip districts. And that name has just stuck. So now we have these hysterically drawn fajita strip districts in Texas. But anyway, <laughs> you know, I think, I think that this year's redistricting cycle is going to be really interesting because uh, the Census Bureau didn't do a great job with the 2020 census. Like, let's just leave it at that. So the results 
like the final tally for the census is delayed. And I don't think that people realize how hard it is to redistrict or how many offices it involves. Like, I think that people look, think about redistricting and they think, all right, well, there was an intern in the legislature and they take a big map and then they draw pencil lines and that's how it goes. Well, no, it like it, 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 it's involved like GIS mapping and some, some more specific like line drawing. And so the lines are drawn generally at the state level, but then they filter down through the county and local offices who actually tell you where the lines are and draw the precincts and make sure that there is, for example, a place you could actually have a polling location in a precinct before you draw the lines specifically there. I mean, in rural America, this is actually pretty, like, is there a barn in this area that we have a polling locate? Like, these are the considerations, and it takes time. And so because the census numbers are so delayed, we're just, like, not going to have lines for a lot longer than I think people are used to. And then those lines are going to go into court battles. Like, I don't know when our lines are going to be drawn this year. And I think that's really going to set people's teeth on edge. And we're going to see a whole nother round of accusations of suppression and fraud. And I'm not looking forward to it. Interesting. So, so in, in the work that you do, especially with, with elections, um, like I, I'd imagine you have to um, contend with just your own personal biases, your own personal political views. Um, and, and uh, and I'm curious on how you how you navigate that space, you know, like while trying to report on things objectively, but, you know, trying to avoid, you know, any sort of perception of of political, you know, leanings about your interpretation of a particular thing. And then, you know, furthermore, you know, how do you how do you kind of balance that with just your own faith and not letting people you know, allow for your faith to kind of color like your, your reporting? That's an interesting question. Um, so I'm fortunate to work for a news organization that isn't so old school about sort of like objectivity, um, which is a thing that I don't think is real. Um, and I think if we would all just admit that no one is objective about anything, then maybe we would arrive at the truth more quickly. But, you know, I think... Vote beat approaches covering voting from a very specific perspective, which is like, one, we think that voting is good and you should do it. And two, we think that voting should be easy to do as long as it is secure. Right. And so, like, if those are our two guiding principles, then that colors how we cover the news. I think I do as part of my role as editorial director of this nonprofit, I do a lot of training for journalists who don't work for us on like, here's how election administration works. Here's what you should do to encourage participation in the voting system without coloring it from a partisan standpoint. Like, for example, I encourage newspapers to print voter registration forms into their newspaper that people can like cut out and mail in. Um, And I always get these questions from local reporters who say, well, like, is it too political to encourage people to vote. And I think that that, I think that makes me, that makes me really sad, right? Because I think that if voting itself has become hugely political, um, sorry, hold on just a second. I'm in a strange space. Um, 
I think if voting itself has become so political that we can't even encourage people to do it, then our entire point as journalists is a little bit defeated, right? Like journalism and and being a reporter is the only like specific industry mentioned in the constitution. And it is and it and the founders felt that hold on just a second. Sorry. You're good. Wait, yeah, you're you're good. At least they're wearing their mask. Okay. That's true. Um, so I am vaccinated, though, so I feel a little bit invincible. Um, okay. Uh, the, OK, so the founders, I mean, the founders had these really strong opinions about the need for a free press. And their foundational reason for it was that, like, in order to have an informed electorate, we must have a free press. And so in my mind, the whole function of all of journalism is to educate the electorate. And we're only doing that so that those people can then go and vote. And so like our function as journalists is to inform them so that they can make adequate choices as citizens. And so if we believe that we have done that, then we should encourage people to vote. I don't care who it's for. Like that's also the beauty of VoteBeat is that we cover voting as a process um, and not the like the campaigns itself. So like, I don't right. care who you're voting for. And, and unless it's directly relevant, I'm not going to say like this county went 75% for Trump or this county went 37% for Biden, because it doesn't matter when you get down to the mechanics of the thing. And so, you know, that's, that's sort of how I feel about it is that like, regardless of the politics of each county, regardless of whether they're rural or suburban or urban, they should have the same access to the ballot. Um, and that ballot should be counted as efficiently as the ballot next door and as accurately as the ballot next door. Um, and so that's kind of how I view it, which is that voting is not a political act is a foundational act of being a citizen. Um, just like serving on a jury is not a political act or like paying your property taxes. is not a political act. Like it's just something you do because you live here. And so I think that the way that I keep my politics out of this is by, I think like mentally separating the act of voting from politics as a whole um, and and covering it as, as if it is sort of like an obligatory necessary step for participation as a citizen. Man, that makes a lot of sense. I, um, I, I love the idea that voting is something that is, I mean, it's like this deeply, um, ingrained almost like inalienable right yeah then, I mean, you know to like for someone to be able to vote well maybe not inalienable i don't know i don't know because i know you can lose your right to vote in certain can. cases you can in lose it. i i think that you know this is this is a really interesting quirk of american history which was that certainly the founders did not believe that all people should have the right to vote right yeah um, they did not yeah they did not and 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 the and the idea that states were entirely in charge of who could vote and how, um, like voting is not addressed in the Constitution. Like if you take a look at the Constitution, the Constitution does not guarantee anyone the right to vote. What it right. does say is or like it doesn't say like these people should vote. It says there are amendments that are introduced later that say, 
you know, you can't take away the right to vote based on race. You can't take the right to vote away based on sex or nationality of origin right. or whatever. But there's nothing that's like everyone over the age of 18 gets to vote in every election. And that's the rule. Like that's not in the Constitution. And so states have been allowed a lot of latitude for it for, you know, who gets to vote when they get to vote. There was like a decade period in the 1700s where women were enfranchised in New Jersey and so were black men. And in Rhode Island, um, they were one of the last states to ratify the 15th Amendment, not because they did not want black men to vote because black men had been able to vote in New Hampshire since the 1840s. They didn't want the Irish to vote. Um, and so that was their dividing line. And so I think that there there is this sort of misinterpretation in the United States that like it had always been that white male landowners could vote until the 13th, 14th and 15th Amendment passed and then everyone could vote and then the 19th Amendment passed and then women could vote too, which is like not at all the case. States have so much latitude white male landowners couldn't vote in some states. There were whole territories and states where non-citizens voted with regularity. Um, Non-citizens legally voted in Arkansas until the 1920s. I mean, the all of these understandings like that we have ingrained in us, like citizens vote. Um, yeah. It was only white male landowners until the 1860s, and then everybody could vote. And then what? Like, that is an incorrect timeline. And so I think that if we had a better appreciation for how much states have controlled that process, um, then our understanding of the right to vote might be a little bit different. And we might feel less like it is an automatic given thing and take advantage of it a little bit more because there is just. I mean, there is no guarantee that in two years you're even going to have the right. I mean, like you probably will and probably nothing will happen. But states do have a lot of power over this. And unless we exercise it, we might lose it. I mean, it brings up a really like interesting topic for me, like in the sense like is voting in an is it an inalienable right? Like, should it be? Should it be something like, for instance, do we want like Nazis voting? You know, um, do we want, you know what I'm saying? And I, I say that extreme, like, you know, we, you know, I, I think all of us want everybody to be able to vote as long, I think if we're all honest, as long as it's not way too different than how we think, like we have an acceptable range. Mm-hmm. Like, let's say we want, like, there's a guy who wants everyone, like they think that everyone that's not like that, that, that you know, all women should be required to go back to the home and not be able to work again and whatever. And that's there. And then they start making this movement. Are we going to be like, yeah, they have the right to vote. Or might we want to like suppress it a little bit? Or, you know what I mean? Might we want to like, you know, do something. It's just an interesting concept to me. And it it makes me think about, you know, our deeply held beliefs and how much they affect uh, how we vote and even our view of voting. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think you're right. How has that affected you? Like your deeply held beliefs, religious, right. faith. I mean, we are a faithful politics and I'm a pastor mm-hmm. and, you know, um, Will and I are both Christian um, and I mean, uh, Protestant um, and uh, Will wouldn't say he's an evangelical. He's an evangelical left. He's a closet evangelical <laughs> left leftist. Um, 
And, but how has that affected you? And like, how, do, how does that sense drive you of your deeply held values? Yeah. So, you know, I was, I was raised Catholic um, in my adult life. I have um, begun to attend a Presbyterian um, church, PCUSA specifically. Um, and I think that, you know, I hate to like, have no original thoughts on this, but his article just captured my opinion so well that I feel like I need to credit him. Um, a former colleague of mine at ProPublica, um, Marshall Allen, wrote this fantastic piece a couple of years ago in 2018. Um, and the title is From Ministry to Muckraking, the Biblical Basis for Investigative Reporting. And I think it's just like a beautiful encapsulation of how I feel about my job, which is that like, I'm a big fan of the concept of like biblical truth telling. And, hmm. and that is really what drives me in my job. Um, and, I, and I think that the reason that I've chosen to make this my area of focus is because it's such a foundational thing that leads people to their own sense of empowerment, um, you know, becoming an active voter and taking your own um, steps to become active in your local government or your national government or wherever you choose to spend your time um, is, is, I think, a way to encourage people to act selflessly. Um, and, and so that is why I keep doing this. And I, and I think that, um, hmm. and I think that, I feel sort of a, a moral sense of duty to cover a thing that I don't think other people are covering. I think people cover voter suppression. Yeah. I think people cover voter fraud. I do not think that people cover how overworked the county clerk in Hamilton County, Texas is, which led her office to hire a outsourced, unqualified IT manager, and then they got hacked. Like, you know, like those are things that people are not covering, but those are things that affect that entire county in really deep ways. But like yes. national news doesn't care about Hamilton County, Texas. And so because the national news is not focused on counties, they're not focused on voting. And I think that it's just a really big hole in our coverage that impacts so much of the rest of our understanding of how the United States functions. And so I think that there just needs to be someone there telling that story and I'm happy for it to be me. <laughs> it's, it's really fun and I enjoy it. And also it means that I get to talk to these County clerks who are hilarious and wonderful. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's, I'm reading this book, um, Jesus and John Wayne by, uh, Kristen Dumay. Okay. And, uh, it's a, fascinating book and we're actually going to have her on the show next week i think um and um um the 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 whole the whole premise of the book and i'm i'm oversimplifying it is basically how this move of white evangelicals basically came into kind of the political arena and totally kind of reshaped uh conservative thought and almost birthed um the the trump era yeah. and 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 i'm curious on on your thoughts about you know, people of faith and the political arena. And if you think that, you know, people of faith are more politically engaged than than those who aren't. And and what are your thoughts on how that affects, you know, like local, state, national policy? Yeah, I, you know, I think that I think that 
religion tends to be a guiding principle in politics, not necessarily because, you know, religious people vote more than non-religious people, but because they are by default far more organized than people who do not belong to organized religion. You know what I mean? Interesting. And so I think Mm -hmm. that churches have become a political force because they have a body of people that already believe what you are saying, feel like they are part of something bigger than themselves. Um, And I, I don't mean to say that they're being like pushed to do something that they wouldn't otherwise do. I think that they have found their group of people. They have found a leader who they respect and appreciate and believe. And it, And I think it's more about like moving in that group, feeling included in that group and having that group sort of like common ethos be that these issues are important to us. And so we need to go vote on these issues, Um, which is why abortion has become such a big thing or, you know, school desegregation has become such a big thing. Um, Voting on Sundays is a racially motivated thing because black churches do souls to the pole on Sundays. And I don't think it's because like, you know, we're religious. And so we vote. It's like, we're religious. And so we have these common political motivations. And so we need to go to the polls and, and act on those motivations. And so I don't think that it's necessarily religion that is motivating these people. I think that it is that they, because they are religion, have these deeply held foundational beliefs that I think other people may not. You know, I think that depending on who you ask, they have a really strong feeling about abortion or they don't. Like, I I think that there are people out there that just that like most people out there, if you ask them about their deeply held opinion on some foundational issue that maybe you or I think that you should have an incredibly defined opinion about, they're just sort of like, I don't know. And and I and I think that that's the difference. Um, I think churches are they're great at getting people spun up to do service acts that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily do if you weren't part of our church. And they spin people up and go show up to protest whatever because they're, they want to participate as a group. Um, And so I think that that's really what it's more about, but I have been concerned about sort of the, um, the perhaps not as like, biblically sound um, religious movements that that were very active in the Trump administration um, in a way that I felt was inappropriate. Um, And and so I think, you know, I have a lot of mixed feelings about that. Yeah, same here. That that, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, for our last uh, question, what, so we have a lot of different listeners uh, Mm -hmm. that span the, the, the political spectrum, they span the religious spectrum. Um, we have atheists that listen. We have very, um, you know, very, very staunch uh, evangelicals that listen, Muslims that listen, people in different, you know, just, just a wide variety of people, which we're very thankful for. We didn't know what was going to happen, and we're very thankful for that. And we tried to be very open mm-hmm. to those voices um, on this show. Uh, But what do you think is the most important thing that you would want to say to, to our audience coming into these, you know, the midterms coming up next year and 
you know, the, uh, the, 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 just the political malaise it feels like we're in right now. What, what would you want to say to our listeners? Kind of the most important thing you think you'd want to impart. I think that one of the most important things that I don't think that people do enough of, and maybe I'm just going to sound like a cheesy advocate of voting, but like, go be a poll worker. Like that is, that is what I would like you to do is to be a poll worker. Um, and I, and I say that because, you know, my mother, uh, wh- whom I love and, and has, has given me a fabulous moral upbringing or whatever, like I have nothing but absolute respect for my mother. Um, Trump voter did, I don't think she was like one of those people who thought that the whole election was stolen, but she had like, but prior to this election, she had some serious reservations about election security, et cetera. And then her employer was like, our service like thing for the fall is that everybody's going to go get a, be a poll worker. Like if you want to sign up to be a poll worker. And my mom was like, oh, I guess I'll do it. And she didn't actually end up being a poll worker because there were too many in Dallas County and she didn't get called, <laughs> which, I, which is a great problem to have, but she did go to poll worker training and she left and she called me and she was like, Jessica, I had no idea how secure voting was. And I was like, trying to tell you that for years, mom. And, um, and so I think that like, go, even if you don't end up being a poll worker, go to poll worker training, go Hmm. visit your county clerk's office, because almost every county clerk's office that I've been to has the polling, like the voting machines or sample ballots that you will be casting your vote on sitting right there. Like if you have questions about how the system works, like from a security standpoint, or from an ex like a a, a voter suppression standpoint, and I don't care whatever those questions are, you will be shocked by how open and educational a visit or a phone call to the county clerk's office would be. They will invite you to the office. They will show you the machines. They will show you how they're counted. They have set these offices up to essentially be these wonderful, like, museums of voting so that if someone comes in with a question, they can easily answer it. My favorite county clerk's office in the country, and I have visited hundreds, uh, is the San Diego County Clerk's Office um, in California. It's this long hallway and every step of the ballot collection, like mailing, collection, counting process, is they're all in different rooms on the same hallway and all of the rooms have one glass wall. And there are signs explaining each of the steps and like the history of voting in San Diego. Like it's literally like a museum of voting and you can go in there and, and see it. And so your county may not be that comprehensive, but they are... I guarantee you as welcoming. Um, So be a poll worker. If you don't want to be a poll worker and you just have questions, go to poll worker training anyway, or at least show up at your county office and ask those questions to the county clerk and trust that they are going to be telling you the truth. Because again, I spend all day long talking to county clerks. I've talked to hundreds of them in the last six years. And there are very few um, that I believe to be not very good at their jobs. Um, And so you should assume that yours is, you should go ask the questions. And and I hope that you're satisfied with the answers. But that, that that is crucial. 
Wow, that that's awesome. So, so Jessica, how um how can people get connected with Vote Beat um if they want to support the work that you guys are doing, um, learn a little bit more? Like, where where, where can they go? Thank you for asking me that. Um, they can go to votebeat.org. Um, we are actually going to be having a really fun event in which I have three political scientists do a game show about voting with uh, with whoever wants to join on the 29th of June. So they can sign up for that. Um, we are a new newsroom uh, spinning up. We will be hiring all of our reporters in the next couple of months. But for now, we do have a weekly newsletter about voting that you should sign up for. It's very fun. Um, and in addition to Fabulous Voting News features a hobbyist. Um, so I feature one election administrator who has a uh, strange or interesting hobby. So we have had... <laughs> A surfboard maker in Kentucky, uh, several nice. members of bands who have albums, um, mm. a quilter. It's very fun. Uh, oh, a competitive, <laughs> a competitive um, mountain biker. Uh, election administrators are fascinating. So sign up for our newsroom, our newsletter, and uh, and and participate. Also, no, that's a that's great. Yeah. So you heard it here, folks. Make sure you sign up, participate, uh, donate. Right. Um, also, <laughs> please There's a big old link, um, and we can expand as fast as you guys donate. So you exactly. just get out your credit card. Yes, that's right. Well, thank you so much, Jessica, for uh, spending some time with us. We really appreciate yeah uh, you having here. You us. Hold on, let, let, let me get my words straight. <laughs> We really appreciate you being here with us. Yes, <laughs> and uh, and uh, educating you us on with us. Yeah, yes, you having with us. I I love it. Religion and politics are things you shouldn't talk about, but are my two favorite things to talk about. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks everybody. Thanks listeners, and we will uh, see you guys all next week. All right. Bye bye.